everybody, and welcome to Post-Credit Conversations, a movie podcast where we believe that a film is only as good as the discussion it inspires. My name is Kale Prindle. And I'm Slade. How you doing today, Slade? Like the rest of the world, uh, I am very tired. It's cold yes. and rainy where I live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, fits the mood perfectly, and I have a sinus headache. So... Uh, that is how I am doing. There's other positives. I, I don't mean to come in real dreary on this, especially. But there's also a lot more negatives too. There's a lot. There is. We. Who knows how much of it will leak into this conversation? Uh, it it depends on how you feel about this week's movie and what else we talk about. So true. Who, who knows? How I, are you doing? I am. Though you know, similar. It's not cold and rainy here because I live in Southern California. Uh, we have hit the point of the year where. Every day, probably now until, you know, Thanksgiving will be over 90 degrees, so huzzah, and uh, that sucks. I'm achy and sore because I'm getting to be an old man, and I was throwing my child around in a swimming pool this week, and I don't know what I did to my shoulder, but it doesn't feel good, Mm. and uh, it feels like nothing is right in the world. So very true. (laughs) So that's where, that's our baseline for this week. Good thing we're going into a movie that the main character's main goal in life is to make people laugh. That is true. Um, I'd use that as a segue, but we have more stuff to talk about. Slade, what have you been watching lately? You know, I'm actually... Because we've got to add an extra half hour to our podcast every time we do this. It might be a good thing. I might have more to say on this part of our conversation like we usually do than the actual movie. But um, what have I been watching? You know, I've been watching a lot of Pixar movies. I'm... Sure, if you've been to my letterbox, I've I, I watched the entire Toy Story series uh, nice. in a in about twenty four hours. I dream wow. I dreamed Toy Story. Um, in fact, one night I didn't realize you were doing them that quickly. I saw you. Oh watched no, all I, of them, I, but I I wrote my reviews pretty much an hour after watching them. Um, Wow! Except for except for Toy Story one because I I watched that one late at night. Um, okay. Slash I finished the last half in the morning. No, I watched them very quickly. <laughs> um, I I have a lot of thoughts. I I was inspired because you have recently watched them, and I'm like I I, I have I, I haven't seen the fourth one. I've only seen the third one. Uh, once when it was in theaters in 2010, and then the other two had been probably 20 years. Um, since seeing them and, yeah. it, and they're always held in high regard. So I'm like, time, time to go back and well, give me some of them toy story thoughts. Okay. I, I, I will give my toy story thoughts. I like toy story. It, it is really good. Uh, my ratings might be deceptive with how much I did like them. Even as I finished the fourth one, it, it's hard to categorize the, the four because it is such a, gigantic span of time between mm-hmm. all of them you you have about 24 years uh, yeah. from 95 to 2019 and they each in my view take on movie making or children filmmaking from each of the times they come out which is mm. but but never too much um you know because toy story Obviously, it's the first. It's it's the first animated three D animated feature. It comes out. It, it's fairly simplistic. Number two is 
a lot more cultural references. Yeah, uh, like a lot. <laughs> tons. Uh, it, and and I always remembered thinking Toy Story 2 sucks. <laughs> um, and it doesn't suck. Uh, upon watching it again, I'm like, no, it, it is a really good movie. I just didn't think it was better than any of the rest. Uh, I would say right. 2 and 4 for me are pretty equal in that respect. Mm. Um, okay. I, I just remember the character of Jesse and... and that being a big part of the story and and I don't care for it. I I don't relate to Jesse's struggle and I find her addition just not that interesting. Uh well it must be nice Slade to not be able to identify with anyone who's been abandoned <laughs> and okay. left behind. That yeah. must you you must have a wonderful life to not be able My to connect gosh. with somebody <laughs> growing apart from you. Wow. I okay. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I'm with you on that. I, uh, sorry, that's I, not I th- fair. I, well, I think you noted this. <laughs> that was very good. I think you uh, noted. I think we noted similar things in our review of. We did uh, of her story, really good, poignant, um, and even execution. I think Toy Story the series gets just all the stars for execution of their stories. Um, it's very consistent, unlike other. Pixar movies and their sequels where it just immediately falls flat. Once you throw in number two, um, it's Hmm. very consistent in execution of even number two with as many cultural references as it plays on. It works and it's not egregious in any way. It's not like, Oh, that's too many star Wars references. And there's a lot. So I, I, I don't know. There might be too many. I think number two is, I expected to like two a lot more when I went through, because I remember, the Jesse component is, I think, what a lot of people remember. Yeah. Because the song that plays when she finds out, you know, when we, we find out her full backstory, it is crushing. I think it's beautiful. I think it's when Pixar figured out, like, oh, dang, we can make people cry in under five minutes if we want to. Yeah. Um, which is huge for the development of, for them as a storytelling company. But I think that Toy Story 2, of all of the Toy Story movies has the most juvenile qualities in it. Yeah. From the references, from the humor, from the way it plays with side characters. It's still clever, but the way it just leans heavy into lots and lots of Star Wars references, um, you know, like Buzz Lightyear and Emperor Zurg doing a I Am Your Father reference, like even it's like, okay, wow, you guys are really just going full Star Wars Yeah, Well, no, and it's really strange because they do it throughout the movie, right? Like it starts obviously with just a complete throw to Star Wars in the beginning and then it brings it back around in a way that is, yeah, it, it, it draws a very fine line. There are things about it I like, Again, I, I think the cast of side characters gets a way bigger spotlight in it. They do. And, and that's actually more enjoyable. Uh, and, and Jessie, again, just as a character, it, I don't like her. I think she's just annoying. Uh, just as a standard character, I don't think she brings much to the table, except for her part in Toy Story 2, that emotional component, that metaphor of being abandoned. Uh, yeah, I think they do stuff with her, but I, yeah, because I was watching it and I'm like, I don't like that I was being annoyed by Jesse, but, and it's, when I say Toy Story 2 is the most juvenile, it also takes some of the bigger swings, especially, I mean, can, remembering this is what, the third Pixar movie they've ever yeah. made. 
Yeah. That and the story of Toy Story is is brilliant because like the first movie, Woody was supposed to be a complete jerk and it was very mean spirited, and they did a whole bunch of rewrites to change it around. Toy Story Two was supposed to be a straight to video thing. Yeah. And then that one was going a very different direction, and so John Lasseter had to come back and like save it and not make it terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also where I can see the problems in Toy Story Two is. You can tell some of that humor. It's like, this is the kind of joke you would make if it was going straight to video. Definitely. Of like, see, it's Star Wars. That's funny. Now, to Pixar's credit, at the time when that movie came out, that super referential humor was not part of the mainstream, I don't think. Like, I always look at Shrek as like the beginning of, oh, this is where everybody started just making the references and those were the jokes. So... It's a little bit before that, but at the same time, watching it now, after we've had two decades of referential yeah. humor in kids' movies, well, that was very stale to me. Definitely. Well, and, and too, because like, I definitely thought of Shrek while watching it, and I, I don't like it when a series even plays on itself that much, which is right. why later Toy Story movies don't hit me near as hard. But I also understand why they're doing it, which is with Shrek, too, the the thing I love about that is its references make more sense because it is satirizing. That is its job. Um, While also... At least in the first Shrek it is. At at least in the first... Some of the later ones. And then princess singing Led Zeppelin doesn't really satirize anything. Then that's another comment on like satirical movies of like how it's just like you can't do more than one and so like toy story 2 is not that movie um right and it becomes that uh toy story 3 i just remember crying a lot and i did but only at one point and that is in the end when andy is giving away the toys uh and i like you know it does a ton of little subtle throwbacks um that normally annoy me and that's why I rated it a bit lower of like it recreates that first thing from Toy Story 1 of Andy's playing with them, dog with a yeah. horse field and just makes it bigger. Uh, it, it's like touting Pixar's animation prowess, which I get and it does and, and it's fine. It is definitely a big flexy moment. For yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why I get from three and four, you know, um, and so it, it just hits. After Toy Story 2, it really, for me, the series doubles down on the metaphor of toys that are alive and their place in the world. And it's not bad. It's really good. And they also might just be watching them all in 24 hours is a lot to take that one theme in. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah. And, and four, I know you noted in your reviews, does do a lot of cool stuff like focusing on woody um yeah and the place he ends up four is my favorite as it turned out yeah it is so good to me but i've also heard a lot of people were like nope yeah (laughs) i i'm in between it it's a very good movie again they're all really great and i like having that view of it but if i have to rate them all you know it's it's tough but i and you can see just how movie making changes throughout them or even just with Pixar and how they write dialogue and everything. Cause again, toy story one just sits a bit higher than the rest because I'm like, it is a different kind of dialogue 
that characters are having. It's. I mean, that's what happens when you have Joss Whedon working on the script. <laughs> very, very true. Well, there are a couple of moments in the first Toy Story. Like when you look at when it puts up who writes the screenplay for the first Toy Story, it's amazing. Like one of the Coens is yeah, in there yeah. writing on it, and Joss well, Whedon is writing on it. And, and you talk and you about can identify the pieces. That's what's weird about it. Like my favorite. Not my favorite line in the movie, but my favorite moment. Like that was totally Joss Whedon. Is when Woody is talking to Buzz. Like you're a cool toy. You've got this. And that. Your helmet does that. That that whoosh thing. I'm like, I guarantee <laughs> that's the Joss yeah. Whedon line because it's the I'm going to abandon the complicated term yeah. and go for the humor by making it a very simple term. And yeah, so the writing feels very different there. Definitely. Um, it, it, and I would say even it, it harkens to a kind of Pixar movie that I think is just better than other Pixar movies. Cause there, there's a couple that fall into that where dialogue and such is a bit more elevated where again, the, the later toy stories, it is the, Whoa, look at the animation they can do with this. And the, the dialogue is different and it's, it's writing to a certain kind of audience. Um, so, it, and I, I miss, the, the series and how Woody interacts with Buzz kind of goes away after that first one. It goes from the Buddy movie into something much different after that, yeah, which is I fine. Agree. And they, I think it makes it very cohesive and they do a wonderful job. So anyway. Well, I think that's another reason I liked four. Like if I went through, you, you mentioned audience, which I think is worthwhile. Like the first yeah. one, it's like, it's definitely a kid's movie. I think for the second one, they really went for a kid's movie. I yeah. think that's why you have all those references. That's why you have yeah. some of the jokes that are there. Like, the first one, it's a kid's movie, but, like, a lot of the humor is still, like, a nostalgia humor for the adults because all the toys are, like, old toys. Yeah. And in the second movie, even though in every single Toy Story movie, they find a new clever thing to do, and I love that about them. Like, in the first movie, it's, like, a very simple concept of, I'm the toy that he loves. What? There's a new guy in town. Now I'm super jealous. Yeah. And it's a whole exploration of jealousy and, and trying to rise higher than your own wants and desires to help the main person that you really love, which in this case is Andy. And then the second movie just flips it, which is what if Woody was the cool toy? How could yeah. Woody be the cool toy? Well, he's a collectible, right? Yeah. He, and so like, that's a very cool creative twist that I really like. Definitely. Um, but the humor is still, I think, aimed more at the kids. So when you've got Buzz and the toys trying to find Woody and they're drawing stuff up on the Etch-A-Sketch and they're crossing the street and the street cones um, and, yeah, all the Star Wars stuff, like, that is aimed, that's why I think it's more juvenile, even though they aim for some of that deeper resonance of abandonment Definitely. that Jesse feels. Definitely. I just wish that in that one that the writing maybe is part of it because Jesse up until you get to know her backstory sounds whiny without reason. And it's fine. Except that the writing for it is again, juvenile. Cause like Andy, 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 that's all he ever talks about. I'm like, that sounds like it was written for a kid who's six. Definitely. And, and a lot of the dialogue that propels the later movies forward, I think though not being that juvenile, as you say, is still written in that way of like moving people along. So you're, you're getting less from what people are saying and more of what they're doing. Like, cause three, yeah. three and four is way more action packed and, and it's very fun to watch. Yeah. They definitely focus on more like the action pieces. Three. <clears throat> I know a lot of people think three is the best. I didn't, f- I'm disconnected from three. And I think by yeah. the time we get to three, 
the focus on too many characters waters it down. I think that's mm. what kills it for me. Like Woody is still the main character, but especially when it hits the point where it becomes a prison movie. Yeah. And everyone becomes like really involved and important well, <laughs> and like you've got Potato Head linking up with a tortilla and running around. Cool moments, fun moments, but at that point I'm like I'm I'm I feel like I'm stretched too thin to care about all of them. Definitely. And I think that's why Toy Story 4 was so refreshing to me is it really brought it back like this is a movie about Woody and his yeah. desire and and duty to always put the kid before himself so he's trying to get forky to hang out with bonnie he's always trying to like track him down when he jumps yeah. out the window well <laughs> and and then he learns like you know what there comes a time where i where i can reclaim my own life where i realize that i don't need to hang on to the past yeah and and still fulfill the same need i always did for a person if that person doesn't need me to be in that position definitely and that kind of definitely. growth after combined with grief i thought was so amazing and beautiful and yes Andy giving the toys away at the end of Toy Story 3 is absolutely moving and beautiful, but I think it is equally moving when yeah. all the other toys are saying goodbye to Woody yeah. at the end of Toy no. Story 4. I was like, oh, this is, I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved no, it. I, I love that moment too, because that's when 4 really got me, right? Like, it's it's yeah. that closing of a chapter, which I, I think in my Toy Story 4 review, it, Again, maybe I was looking at them all too structurally. I th I think maybe Toy Story falls into a a born movie uh, problem, which I, I I I think the action of all the movies is just like these are all essentially the same movie. They get trapped somewhere. Bad toys try and keep them there. Yeah, it's true. And, and that is essentially everything after Toy Story one. A bit, and, and then two, four. I think I commented of just like this is the Rogue One of the series of like they latched onto yes. one thing a character said in three, and then they made a movie out of it, which is, oh yeah, Bo Peep's gone, and it's like, hey, we should go back and justify that again. Not that's bad, I don't think at all. Um, no, because I think and, they did a cool thing with it. I um, think so. And, I, and the other thing I love about four um, is. There's a huge transformation for Woody in Toy Story 4. Because in the first one, yeah. yeah, he's always trying to, like, get outside of himself to, like, help the kid. But he's still very much doing it for himself. Like, when he realizes Definitely. in the first one, like, oh, no, Andy's really upset because Buzz is gone. He realizes he messed up and he's got to help get Buzz back. And he can't just return yeah. without Buzz. But, again, that's self-serving because he knows that the other toys are going to kill him if he shows up without <laughs> Buzz. Yes. In the second movie, that's the whole struggle is I can go on and be well taken care of by myself and then decides not to. And in Toy Story 3, one of the best move moments in that one is when he does go home with Bonnie and she plays with him and it's the first time he's really been played with in years and yeah. it's very exciting. Well, but it's, it's all self-preservation. And then you get to 4 and the thing I love about 4 that made it different is it's the first time that Woody wasn't just taking care of like the other toys. He wasn't taking care of himself and he wasn't even taking care of the kid. He helps the villain in a way that hasn't happened in any of the other Toy Stories, yeah. which I thought was great. He gives up his own voice box, yeah, which is amazing to me. Like, There's a self-sacrifice there that went deeper than anything that Woody had done as a character, and I loved yeah. it. And then he's, you know, the rest of his life is like, I'm going to go help toys in these carnivals, I guess. Um, yeah. 
Um, but it's temporary. It's like, I'm going to help them find homes and I can find meaning in helping them find their place instead of just me needing to find yeah. my place with the kids. And I just thought it was beautiful. Loved it. I, I completely agree. Um, and <laughs> then we can talk about what you watch. <laughs> and then with that, I watched Ratatouille and A Bug's Life, both of which I, I, I liked better than the Toy Stories. Um, yeah. Ratatouille really is just good. Um, and then A Bug's Life, which uh, AV Club put an article about that this last week, which I thought was ironic since I had just watched it, of just like, we all forget that this is a Pixar movie, and it's sad because it's really good. Because um, they kind of fall into that niche of what, what I like about Toy Story 1, of just the dialogue's good, and... Um, it's a standalone story. They don't rely necessarily on cultural references. They really become their own thing and benefit from not having sequels. Kale, what have you been watching? <laughs> oh, we're going to keep adding on to this. Uh, okay. Um, let's see. I got to think about it now. Uh, <laughs> I've watched a bunch of stuff. Actually. It's been, uh, I've been trying to pack stuff in more. Uh, Book of Eli was a fun yeah. action movie, which I enjoyed. Um, a lot, mostly because of how it very blatantly said, like, here's a villain. He wants to use religion to control the masses, but he's just upfront about it. And I think there's a lot of movies that attack religion, but there's like, that's the church and they are evil. But this is a guy who's not the church, but he understands the power of it. So yeah. he wants to, like, take that. And that, I just, being that open about it, I thought was really interesting. And, and it's a good action movie. Um, so that was fun. I rewatched Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Um, yeah, which is. Uh, <laughs> I was meaning uh, to rewatch it myself and have a movie fight with you, but you know what? I, we I didn't get around right on that one. I didn't. We get can do that one next time. Yeah. I'll save my comments. We can do that next time. Okay, perfect. Um, what else have I watched? <laughs> or I, I don't know. Agree with you. I, I watched, don't know. <laughs> I watched Snowpiercer. Yeah. I watched um, something else, probably. It's been a good couple of weeks. Like I've enjoyed everything I've watched, so that's that's been a bonus. That's that's uh, oh, good. not everything, not everything. I watched Shazam. Oh yeah, that movie sucks. It's not a good movie. I I don't like it. I don't remember I was enough going to into it argue hoping, with you. <laughs> right? No, 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 I'm not looking for an argument. Like the DC movies have have obviously everyone knows they struggle, right? Yeah. DC movies are never as fun as most Marvel movies, but Shazam has been touted as like, this is the one that's actually fun. So I'm like, cool, let's watch this. It'll be fun. That movie's a mess. It does not know what kind of movie it is. It does not know what its characters are. It's just a blooming mess. Uh, and then I tried to watch Aquaman recently as well. Oh. I fell asleep a lot. Uh, <laughs> I really liked the first hour because everything was so crazy and cool and action packed yeah. and fun and bright and colorful. But then it never stops being those things, so I think it just mm. exhausted me after a while, and it's over two hours, and so by the end of it, I'm like, uh, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I needed to make that quick, because we talked for almost 20 minutes on Toy Story. I know. Which is awesome. Good. Which means I probably need to include it in the title of this week's I think episode. so. That we talked Toy Story and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And Toy Story you were the series. Talk... And, and luckily, I think yes. I think we agree, maybe just not in Star Reigns, but I think we can agree, don't necessarily matter. Uh, necessarily. I think we end up at the same place. <laughs> for Toy Story For stuff? Toy Story stuff. Yeah, uh, well, they're great. Except for ratings. 
Um, Ratings are going to be off, uh, and our order is probably off. I think if I was going to rank them, four is top, then one, two, three, in my opinion. Interesting, Um, yeah. And see, I I was even trying to think of one, and I I even have a hard time putting two at the very bottom for myself because, yeah, four and three still, like, they all kind of hover between, between each other. Anyway. Well, and the difference between four and one, like I gave both of them yeah. four and a half stars. Like they're both extremely good movies. So. Yeah, definitely. So. All right. Well, we have talked enough on a that. <laughs> Let's move on to this week's actual movie that we agreed to watch. I'm um, scared. <laughs> I am so curious how this is going to go because uh. we watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff i don't even know if it'll be good stuff oh man all right here we go who framed roger rabbit came out in 1988 it is directed by robert zemeckis who does things like back to the future um and forrest gump and i'll throw a weird one in there beowulf and (laughs) the cgi beowulf didn't know about that uh yeah, he had a big CGI kick in the 2000s where he really oh, wanted yeah. to make it Didn't work because he, he did Polar... Christmas Carol oh, and Christmas Polar Carol. Express. He... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> maybe this explains anyway. He is. I might be referencing fascinating... those more than the actual movie. <laughs> you might. He's a fascinating director because yeah. he does push things technologically in a lot of his movies. Because when you think about what he does in Forrest Gump, like. He created Lieutenant Dan to not have any legs in, what, 92 or whenever that movie came out? 94, I believe. 94? I don't know. know. Uh, You know, and then Beowulf was one of the first, like, not just full CGI, but really going for photorealistic CGI. I guess he did Polar Express first, but, like, he was really pushing for that for a long time to see just what he could do. And, of course, in this week's movie of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the technological marvels on this movie are incredible. So, plot-wise, here we go. (laughs) Eddie Valiant, played by Bob Hoskins, is a private detective who is hired by a movie studio executive executive to follow around his... Um, one of their most profitable cartoon characters, Roger Rabbit. This is a world in the 1940s where cartoons are not what are drawn on paper. They are real things. They walk around and interact with us. But Roger Rabbit has not been performing well lately. And uh, this executive is pretty sure it's because he thinks that Roger Rabbit is having marital problems with his wife, Jessica. So he hires Eddie Valiant to follow uh, Jessica Rabbit, who is not a rabbit, and take pictures of her if she's doing something she shouldn't be doing. And so he takes pictures of her because she's playing patty cake with someone, uh, Marvin Acme, who makes every Acme-related thing that you'd seen in a Looney Tunes cartoon. And then Marvin Acme is killed, which is framing Roger Rabbit, making it look like he killed Roger Acme out of some crime of passion and revenge. What follows, though, is a chase down to figure out, wait, This doesn't make a lot of sense because there's this missing will involved about who gets to have control of this area of the city called Toontown. And so the rest of the movie is Eddie Valiant running around with Roger Rabbit, trying to stop him from being caught by a guy named Judge Doom, 
who is this really creepy Christopher Lloyd character who likes to pick up cartoons who normally can't be hurt or killed, and he dumps them basically in paint stripper, which would strip away all the paint that makes a cartoon, and that's the only way you can kill a tune. And, um... Yeah, and then yeah. Judge Doom is the bad guy because his name is Judge Doom. So yeah. <laughs> what do you expect? Um, I'll leave it at that for now, plot-wise. Yeah. Slade, I'm dying to hear your first thoughts on this movie. <laughs> Gosh. Um, so... Because I got the sense while I was watching it, I'm like, I'm afraid I think Slade's going to absolutely hate this. <laughs> I think he's going to hate it. <laughs> So and you're nodding at me. I, I'm nodding a little bit. So to get us through a whole conversation for sake of that, um, I I'll start with what I like. Uh, upon because I started this movie, I got 30 minutes in, and then I had to restart because I picked it up a couple days later. Upon initial watch, <laughs> I I like the tone of this movie because i've seen it around but i've never watched it um okay like I, I so this get, is your first time actually watching this the is movie. my first time first time oh fascinating ever okay. seen ever seen it but like i know who roger rabbit is and it's more of like have i seen this before i recall maybe being very young and seeing it after watching it that's not the truth um and so <laughs> upon first watch my first 30 minutes i was like i don't love it <laughs> But I could definitely throw this on in the background and enjoy it. Like, I would watch it again. That's where I was before watching the whole thing. Um, I like the tone of it because it is set in the 40s. It has this very noir feel to mm-hmm. it, which I, I think maybe we both really like in movies. And it plays it up really, really well. Like, uh, the uh, Valiant is just... He he might be my favorite part of the movie. Just oh, Hoskins wa- is amazing. Yeah, he's wa- so good. <laughs> he's so great, and so I love watching that. I I was of course very struck by the opening scene, uh, and that's even before things get real kind of wacky. <laughs> uh, just the animation that Roger Rabbit and uh, the baby, baby Herman, baby Herman go through like just that as a animation is really good uh it's incredible just a straight up animation and then it gets even more incredible from there and so like watching the tunes interact in the real world like there's just those parts of things and i only read just a small tiny bit about how they did and i'm like kind of like paths of glory last week i'm like i just want to go look at behind the scenes to actually see what they were talking about, how they accomplished this, because, you know, in some sense, it's like, okay, they're not interacting with anything. That's really cool. Yeah, in some and cases, in, that's and true. And in some cases, they are interacting with something, and I really want to see that. Uh, like the scene where H- Hoskins? Hoskins? Haskins. Bob Hoskins is the Bob actor, Hoskins yeah. is hiding Roger Rabbit when the thugs come to his thing, and they're clipped together and he's keeping them in the sink like just watching that uh from a filmmaking perspective is really cool (laughs) uh just because there's water being splashed uh, and all this and you're just like there's not a rabbit there 
but there has to be right. some. There's, there's something aren't here. There's something. But there's a real it. gun. There's a real gun in the scene. There's that's a being real held by a cartoon weasel. Right. There, and <laughs> there's real handcuffs and connected he, to Roger Rabbit's wrist. Yeah. And they have to film it's, it. It's in amazing. Su- I love it. Yeah. So the technical marvels of the movie were really cool. I. Um, yeah. Plot wise. Is that where it ends? You're like, I like Hoskins and the tech. <laughs> it kind of does. It kind of does. Okay, well, let's start there. We'll go to the stuff okay. that annoys you here in a minute. Because, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you are interested in the background or, or some behind-the-scenes stuff, I, I looked immediately. Because a lot of times on Disney+, Plus, where this is streaming, you can select extras. And it'll have oh. little, like, special features. And sometimes it's just like, here's the trailer. But sometimes it'll have deleted scenes. And in this case, it has about a 30-minute behind-the-scenes featurette. Oh, I'm and it's watch worth that. watching. I'm it's watch so it, cool. Because here's how they're doing some of these things. Uh, because that's what I'm wondering too. I'm watching, like we live, the reason this was more exciting than watching, you know, something that is made now is now we know enough about CGI. Like yeah. CGI makes things look already oh. photo real. So the question is just like, when did it go from CGI to real? And you're just waiting to see where the cut is to see where they transfer something. But this movie doesn't transfer things from cartoon to real life. It has cartoons holding things that are real life. Or, um, yeah, like when he's at the sink and the weasel swipes down at the water and actual water splashes yeah. up and hits it. Like, this movie, to watch the footage of them actually filming it, looks like a dark ride at Disneyland because there's stuff just floating around all over the place. So what they would do is, in some cases, they would have, like, puppeteers above the set, like, dangling things down on strings and moving them around, and then they would have to go in and animate the character huh. to follow along with that item. In yeah. some cases, they would build robots like to make these things work. So Baby Herman, who is this really disturbing character that we'll have to talk about in a minute. Yes. Um, he's so <laughs> creepy. Um, but he's always holding a cigar, but the cigar is not a cartoon cigar. It's a yeah. real cigar. And so what they did there is they built this contraption to go on a puppeteer's arm that was synced up with another little robot arm that was holding the cigar. And however he moved his real arm, this little robot arm would move the same way. So he would perform this like cigar movement and then the animators would have to animate around it so that it looked like he was holding a real thing. It's so cool. There's a whole ton of stuff like that in this movie and it's amazing. And that I will agree with you is probably the most exciting thing about this movie. Okay. And it's, and it's very exciting. I think that it's, to me, puts this at a pretty high level of film just because it's so cool, it's so innovative, it's so interesting, and it's just so well done. Yes. Um, one of the things in the featurette pointed out, like Zemeckis talks about how he heard that if you're going to do animation over live action, which has happened before, like Mary Poppins, it, yeah. you know, it exists. Um, animators will be like, well, just don't move the camera. Because if you move the camera, yeah. it's a problem. Well, but if you watch this movie, the camera's moving constantly. Yeah. And um, one of the animators is there saying, like, oh, no, you can do it. It's just a lot more work. So when people say, don't ever move the camera, it's because the animators are lazy and they don't want to do any of that yeah. work. Yeah. Which I think makes a lot of sense. So technically, yes, Marvel, um, this is the late 80s. So none of the animation is CGI at all. They didn't yeah. have any computers to work with at all. So 100% of the animation is hand-drawn and painted and created. And it's, oh, it's so cool. It is like, cool. I could nerd out on that. 
forever. Yes. Hoskins is brilliant. Again, behind the scenes stuff, he doesn't interact with anything. Yeah. <laughs> so the way they shot this is they would do a run through with puppets. So you would have like a cutout of Roger Rabbit, this three foot tall puppet. So Hoskins would do the scene with the puppet so he would know where it's supposed to be. And then they'd do the next take and they'd take the puppet out. And then Hoskins just had to remember that's where it went. This is where it's at. So it's all this blocking stuff. So he has to... Now, the voice actor, whose name I do not remember because this is like the main thing he's known for, he was always (laughs) off camera. He was on set, but he was always off camera. So Hoskins would do his line and the voice actor Mm. for Roger Rabbit would do his line. So Hoskins would have him there to still kind of like bounce off of but he didn't have any physical thing in front of him and that's just super cool it is (laughs) like he is so good they did mind training for these guys to learn how to like move in a certain way anyway i could geek out on that forever hoskins is great tech's great um i think the humor is pretty good most of the time sometimes it's a little like it's campy but this is where i this is one moment or or maybe a brief conversation i'd like to have which is what's the equivalent if this movie is made now so this movie came out in 88 but it's set in 1947 so it doesn't use any of the cartoon characters from the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or even the 50s all the characters are made in the 40s or before so you do have bugs bunny and mickey mouse and donald and daffy and dumbo yeah and these characters from song of the south and Betty Boop and like all of these old characters, which are great. Yeah. And so it makes this movie a big nostalgia hit probably when it was made in the eighties because like, Oh, remember all these great old cartoon characters? Yeah. But it does not include characters that came later. So there's no Hanna-Barbera, right? You don't have Scooby-Doo showing up and none of the eighties cartoons, like the Saturday morning stuff. So I'm thinking it while I'm watching this, I'm thinking of something like a, uh, a, um, a ready player one type of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Where you've got all these throwbacks to an older age. And when we see some of those, like when I watched uh, Ready Player One, what was I getting excited about? I saw, you know, characters from Street Fighter. That's super cool. And, oh, there's a Battletoad in there. That's amazing. They put in Battletoad. You know, I'm looking for these old things that are very exciting to me. And I'm wondering if this works for us now, 30 years later. Or if some of that humor, which would have been like, remember this cool, nostalgic way that cartoons used to be? I yeah. wonder if it worked better then than it does now. I don't know. What do you think? So much there. Um, yeah, I think I like the Ready Player One comparison. And I, we both have differing opinions on Ready Player One and how much we we like it. Um, Short version, I think Ready Player One is a lot of fun, but it is not a great movie, but it's really fun. Yeah. I, I, I actually know we do have about the same opinion on it. The ending of ready player one is terrible. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's my stance. Definitely. <laughs> um, it, there was a great review on ready player one that you've probably seen, but anyway, uh, we'll talk about that later. I, I think the nostalgia factor is very different in this movie because the cartoons themselves they are being funny in a way that those cartoons were funny. It's slapsticky. It's it's really wacky. And to see yeah. that interact in the real world, I mean, to be alive in 1988. Like my girlfriend. Um, 
I was going to say, you weren't alive in 1988. I just I wasn't. realized that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, to see it for the first time would have been really thrilling. I, I mean, heck, even seeing it now, I was really thrilled seeing it. And, and to see that kind of comedy translate, uh, it would be like a Ray Player one where it's like any little kid's dream is taking every cartoon video game he's ever watching like what it can all exist in the same place you know Mm -hmm. i i think that is a very apt comparison for for watching this and where i think this movie kind of does it even better than that is the functionality of the characters in this world it it, they aren't just there to be thrown back um like oh look there's like like there's a few but it's not saturated like the the gang that comes after right. Roger Rabbit they they perform a function it, it's all there for a reason even Betty Boop you know like is waitressing right. at this club like it's not because just she's like, a black and white character who yeah. doesn't have a place now that cartoons have color in it exactly more on that in a minute but yeah yeah, yeah. and so like I, I I love that and I think it it works um the only place where it doesn't comedy wise work for me is about halfway through the movie, maybe a little bit past halfway where I lost a lot of interest because there was so much happening at once. And then it kept going <laughs> where, where okay. I, I, I got fatigued. Uh, um, I'm curious what sense. happened. Like what was the moment? What was the moment? Was it when he goes to Toontown itself or was it before that? It was a little bit before he went to Toontown. Like Toontown okay. was a, it was a lot. It was a lot for me. And, uh, you know, for for a feature length, it was too much for me. Um, and, yeah. and and then kind of the jokes and stuff it weren't fresh anymore. Like yeah, th- there wasn't anything to latch onto. Like oh, this is propelling me in a different way. Whereas until that point, it's just like okay, that's hilarious. I. I honestly, again, more on him later, baby Herman might've gotten the most chuckles out of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> just because again, he delivered lines and animation in such a way where it's just like it, it was off putting and it's funny, <laughs> you know? So well, one of the, <laughs> the comedy is weird wanna, in that way. Yeah. It's very weird. The comedy is weird in that way. So uh, <laughs> yeah, to, to hop on that, I, I I'm kind of in agreement with you when he goes to Toontown, it was a little bit before that where I was like, hmm. So I'm kind of with you for a lot of it, too. And I think what happens, especially once Toontown happens, is the humor goes full cartoon. Yeah. Before that moment, most of the humor is we have a world where cartoons and real people are coexisting. And so the cartoons are doing really weird, goofy things. And Bob Hoskins looks at him and like... You got, this is so dumb. Like he's so tired of them and their shenanigans. And there's a humor that's kind of built out of that. Yeah. So the what I think might be the best funny line in the whole thing is after he's handcuffed to Roger Rabbit and then he's trying to saw through the cuffs and Roger Rabbit just slips his hand out of it. Oh, that's and he's good. like, are you telling me you could have done that the whole time? No, only when it was funny. I'm like, yeah. that's the best. It because is the that best. that is the... That's where the humor works because you've got cartoon mechanics working in the real world that created a great sense of humor. When you get to Toontown and then the humor kind of stays there for the rest of the movie, 
it is just it's a full-on cartoon yeah and that humor is fun but it doesn't mesh well and i think the character of eddie valiant is they give him a good enough backstory and they show you that backstory in a cool way as the camera pans through all of the newspaper clippings and, and photos in his apartment but he doesn't make the turn well like he's so gruff and he's so kind of grizzled and angry at everything that by the time he gets to toontown we never see him fully shift and so what i think is the cringiest moment in this movie (laughs) is when eddie valiant decides and remembers hey if i'm really funny right now the weasels will die yeah and even though there's okay, a clever thing, okay, I'm so glad you where, say that because that's immediately what I was thinking. I'm just like I his whole song so and hard. dance number. Yeah. I'm just like, what the hell is happening right now? And it's because Bob Hoskins is keeping Eddie Valiant at the same level, so he's still being Eddie Valiant. But his little song sounds stupid. The types of jokes seem lame, and he's just like stumbling and falling. And then the weasels are laughing so hard they die. And there's a there's a sliver of creativity when Roger points out it's like. Oh, you're you're slaying them dead. You're killing it. Like, you know, that's what you say for comedy. So I'm like, oh, so it's like when you're killing it in comedy, you are literally killing these weasels. Fine. But the actual uh, <laughs> sequence of him doing back handsprings and slipping on banana peels. And yeah. I'm just like, well, this feels like when you try to take cartoon stuff and you try to do it in a live action movie for kids and kids will kind of like it, but adults are like, oh, this is so painful. Well, yeah. Well, so and, that and part was bad. Definitely. And I like the line you brought up with Roger Rabbit because it is funny when he's like, well, I couldn't do it then because it wouldn't be funny. And it's like, oh, that is great. And, and that's so much of the charm up till about Toontown is because I, you don't you aren't thinking of why you're laughing. It's like, oh, that would be really funny. Oh, yeah, it's real life and cartoons interacting. But after that, it takes that idea of I'm not going to do this thing until it's funny. And just that's what it does for the yeah. rest of the movie. And you know, like him slipping on a banana peel is just like, no, oh, that's not funny. Like, cause he right. obviously he's going to do it. You know, it, it takes away that surprise factor, at least for me. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's where it struggles with the humor. I think a lot of it is very funny and it's very clever, but yeah, some of it's still kind of weird. And I don't know how it played in the 80s exactly because I would have been five when this movie came out. And I don't I don't know how old I was when I first saw this. I know I didn't see it in theaters. Um, but, you know, it's also playing on the humor of the 1940s because it's a period piece. So it fits yeah. that element. But it still it, it makes for a strange thing. It, it does. So yeah. if you had just said, hey, I want a movie where cartoons are real and they interact with humans and make the humor out of that awesome i'm in and that's what it does for like the first half of the movie um and then something seems to change there it goes so cartoony that it feels cheesy and it doesn't quite work i i I don't know maybe i think it might be good to talk about the plot because (laughs) it's a little hard to follow honestly okay thank (laughs) thank goodness i'm glad we're ending up more on the same place because uh yeah mandy turned to me near the end it was just like what is the plot actually of this movie i'm like i'm i'm not gonna lie because i was so oversaturated with the animation cartooniness especially in the last half of the movie i'm just like i like even as you were reading the plot i was just like 
that's why he was hired because yeah. of performance anxiety. Like that's how he got the pictures. Like I don't remember that uh, necessarily. Yeah, because at the beginning and, of the movie, when he has a refrigerator dropped on his head and he sees Burge, and like the script says, you need to see stars. Like I can give you stars. I can give you stars, yeah, yeah, but he yeah. can't. He's having like this issue yeah. where he's like he can't. And so he's supposed to investigate, like, something's going on with his wife. You need to figure yeah. it out so that he can get over that in the relationship and get refocused on work. Okay. But in reality, it was all this elaborate plot Very, to yeah. frame Roger Rabbit for murder. Yeah. Well. So it, that, and this is the part that was hard. This is the part that was hard. Then I'll, I'll throw it back yeah. to you. So Judge Doom is the <laughs> ultimate bad guy. I like how he's performed by Christopher Lloyd. It's pretty great. But at the end, oh my goodness, it's terrifying. Um, yes. For a child to watch this movie, good grief. Um, but anyway, so the actual villain's plot, I didn't track. And I was watching for it. I'm like, okay, I understood that you framed Roger Rabbit so that you could get control of Toontown. So you're just a villain that wants control of Toontown. But then his actual plot is I want to kill all of the cartoons with my dip that can kill everything so that we can build a freeway. Yeah. From here to Pasadena. And I've heard this for a long time and I didn't fact check it this time, but I've heard this for a long time that this movie originally, this script and story originally started as another movie in, um, a series. And that series started with the movie Chinatown Hmm. with Jack Nicholson. Which is very much about who has water rights in L.A. and who's doing crime to get like all this power about like what's going on in Los Angeles. And they did a second one that I don't remember the name of. And they were going to do a third movie in that series. And that's kind of how Roger Rabbit started. And when you think about it in those terms, it's a weird political movie about like a guy who is framing someone for murder so he can sell out uh, this whole neighborhood and make more money on the development and expansion of our current urban lifestyle, which is interesting. But when Christopher Lloyd is talking about the freeway and the billboards and the gas stations, I was never sure how he would actually profit from it because it sounds like he already put in way too much money buying out this streetcar company. (laughs) Anyway, that's where it became super convoluted for me. I'm like, I don't know how you benefit from this doom. Well, yeah, back to you. I rambled a while. No, no, that's fine. Um, it, it, it becomes very convoluted to really quickly, uh, because, because again, like most of the time you're like, okay, this is about him taking control of Toontown. And then that, again, that final scene really it's it's just too much and it goes on for so quick it (laughs) it goes on for so damn long um like um and it's like christopher lloyd just dropping thing after thing of just like i want these rights for this and blah 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 and then like at the very end like let's just squeeze in too he is a tune and so he's actually doing this to commit genocide against tunes and i'm I'm like it's too much too quickly um <laughs> you yeah. know and we don't know why he is and, and and they also try to make a few jokes i laughed at the first one and then i realized it was happening more and more because at the beginning bob hoskins character talks about how los angeles has this great public transport system which i think is hilarious because <laughs> yes. la has like none yeah so i'm like oh, that's funny they're just making jokes about la well then at the end they're talking about freeways 
which is all of Southern California and LA. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it made sense. He's a tune. That idea was so crazy. Only a tune can come up with that. So I'm like, yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting comment, which I think I've been sitting here trying to like, what is the, the deeper resonance for this film? And I think this film is very much about nostalgia and, and yeah. putting it against progress. And what do we lose when we try to do a lot of progress stuff? There's possibly a connection about who gets left out when progress, uh, is someone else's goal. Yes. But it's it doesn't fit real well into no, this. No. <laughs> Zootopia it, it, is a better it, movie to explore that. It really does fit in the 80s because it's like you can with some digging come away with those points. But it is not overly blatant <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um which I think makes it a slightly better movie. Because it is a throwback, it is a comedy, it is it is a cartoon movie. Um, so to have all of that in there blatantly would also ruin it, I think. Right. Um, <laughs> you know. Like, I think this, I wonder if this would be a better movie if it really was just like, someone got framed for murder and we're trying to figure it out. I wonder if it got way worse when you realize that Doom has this huge plan and plot to eliminate all tunes, to build this freeway that he'll somehow profit off of. And it became like this political thriller almost in the background. Yeah. And I wonder if it would be a better movie if it was just like, you know what, let's put humans and cartoons together. Someone's going to get framed for murder. Let that play out. Like, I think there's enough there <laughs> that you could do a lot <laughs> I mean, without yeah. adding those extra it, layers. And it feels like um, until about halfway through the movie, that's what it is. And it's very enjoyable. Um, yes. And then it's not. But yeah, once once me. Valiant realizes, oh, hey, that movie executive who originally hired me, he just sold his studio to somebody new. Why did he do that? And he starts putting pieces together like so-and-so wanted to set up all these other things. That's when it does get more complicated, I think, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> um, anything else on your mind? Not really. I feel like I had something, but now I don't remember what it was, I, so maybe it doesn't matter. Oh, Baby Herman. We got to talk oh, Baby Herman. Yes, we can a talk little Baby bit. Herman. All right, so Baby Herman, if you've somehow been listening to this and you've not seen this movie, this had to have been a strange conversation. Baby Herman is a literal baby uh, who is in these cartoons because there's something, I don't think there's much of a conversation point, but I think it would be interesting to consider. How are these tunes created? How do they become actual living beings i'm curious because i think there's another weird element that could be explored but it's mostly just dark and weird like how do you create a character like baby herman whose entire life he's going to be stuck in this baby form forever but Mm. the first when he's not acting in a cartoon which is how we first see him he has this really rough voice (laughs) where he's gonna be talking about and he's always smoking a cigar and his first line that baby's first line in english is what in the hell is going on? Like, it's this very rough, coarse, yeah. crass character who <laughs> is very chauvinistic, very pervy. Yeah. Um, and all those things. And I, I don't know. Like I said, I think he might be my favorite character as far as <laughs> as far as funniness goes. And it's funny you, you say chauvinist because, again, in our minds now, 2020 is just like, I don't know. I feel like I need to be strongly against this character, but I'm like, I can't be. I I just can't. Wait. Well, and he's set in the 40s. That's where he's this movie is also He's set in the 40s, and it plays 
even now, to me, really well and within that context of even then what this baby is accomplishing. Um, That's not, (laughs) it's not too disgusting. It's disturbing-ish, especially like you say, like how they're created. Um, And also just the fact that when he drops his cigar, he whines like a baby. I'm just like, this this is... It's just a amount of cleverness with that ca- character that I don't get from many of the other characters. Like Roger Rabbit does not do it for me at all. No, because um, Roger is designed, and that's what he talks about. He's like, I'm my whole purpose in life is to make people laugh. So that's yeah. why he's always going to be silly. He's always going to be goofy, and it makes no sense to the people who aren't. But like, that is that's why I'm wondering about like how do these characters actually come to be. Yeah. In real life, because they seem to be created with a specific purpose in mind. So Roger, his whole thing is about, I, I need to make people laugh. But he didn't start as a small rabbit and then grow into this. And these characters are killed by being put into like turpentine and paint yeah. strippers. So it's like they are still made of ink and paint, apparently. So <laughs> it's it's really... There's no answer to this. And these are the kind of things we ask at this era of movies that I'm assuming nobody was asking in the 80s about movies. Very, very, very clearly, yes. (laughs) But that's why Baby Herman is weird, because he's designed as a baby to be a baby in cartoons. He actually cries when he drops his stogie and has the grossest line in the movie, I think, which is, I have a 50-year-old man's lust with a three-year-old dinky. Which is so <laughs> weird. It's so bizarre. But it's, so it's the grossest line in the movie. It's but if we we're going to talk about like problematic issues, I think Jessica Rabbit is so much more problematic in the yeah. way they interact with her. And it's only a few moments. Like I think that as a character, as, again, film noir, she's the femme fatale. I think the design for her makes perfect sense for the story yeah. they're telling. Um, <laughs> I feel like a lot of... Um, guys get maybe some justification to see like these other like middle-aged men who are like, yes, I'm also attracted to a cartoon. Yeah. Um, But the thing that they do with her and it all happens in the same scene, I feel is the, is the big problem, which is she goes to visit Eddie Valiant to try to figure stuff out. He's not wearing a shirt, which I thought was hilarious because this is, again, the 80s. So it's like, yeah, let's just put Bob Hoskins with no shirt and his, his hairy furry just, shoulders and everything. I will say, I, I chuckled when he came out without a shirt, but he still had his tie on. <laughs> and, like, that's the thing that ties him together throughout. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, but somewhere in that scene, Jessica approaches him and she's like, I would do anything for my husband. And as she approaches him, her breasts push up against Eddie Valiant. You get this cartoon, like, boom sound, which is yeah. really weird. And it's like, at that point, I think is a little bit stranger because when we think about how we overly sexualize women in cartoons, there's something to be said here. I, I can see both sides, but the part that it makes me laugh and also goes, oh my goodness, is when he reaches down, because his pants have fallen, of course. Yes. He reaches down to pull up his pants and when he stands back up, he knocks his head against the underside of her breasts and they bounce and make a boing sound and he's like, oh, sorry. And then they just move on like it's no big thing. Yeah. But it's like, what a strange... I try to picture what this movie had to have been like for parents taking their kids to it. Is You know, I mentioned last, on our last recording, like, I can't watch it with my kids yet. I do not no. want to wrestle with baby Herman and Jessica Rabbit with my seven and ten year old. Definitely. But, 
in the 80s, mostly because a lot of 80s movies for kids were bonkers. Um, I don't know. I don't even know entirely what to say. I think Jessica's a really good character for the most part, but I can absolutely see some problems that uh, people could point to with her. Yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> yep. I don't All right. It's a... <laughs> I think we're good. I, and let's let's hop to some ratings. Okay. That was a dumb <laughs> rabbit joke. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Right. Slade, I know I did the rating first last week because I just edited that video, so you have to do your rating of this movie okay. first. Um <clears throat> so I I enjoyed maybe about half this movie uh, and, and the joy as we s- spent a good portion of the first part of the conversation on is because of just watching it, how it is filmed, how they accomplish that, the work, just, just like to know that people at some point in history enjoyed working uh, to make it happen. <laughs> I appreciate that because it, it really is a technical marvel. I mean, this movie was nominated and won. It or won was three just, different Academy it Awards. Won it was three, nominated for six. Yeah, it won three and, Academy yeah. Awards, which I kept telling my girlfriend Mandy throughout. I'm like, just keep in mind, this won three Academy Awards, all <laughs> of which were technical, all, right? it's all for technical, sound effects, which I also kept for... bringing up. A whole bunch of other stuff, yeah. Yeah, but but even then, like, Technical Academy Awards, uh, and very well-deserving. I, I think even watching it now, it is a marvel to look at. I enjoy it more than a lot of movies now that are technically higher with how, how they're made. That is enjoyable. Some of the jokes are enjoyable. I like the setting of the movie. I like Bob Hoskins. A lot. I like Baby Herman a lot. Uh, but man, as an overall movie with a plot, you know, the style really outweighs the substance of it to where it just becomes so, for me, unenjoyable near the end. It's it's too much. It's drawn out. Um, you know, it so much oh gosh it, it just it was painful it was painful near the end i Ooh, i, I had right. i had a hard time finishing i almost quit it and said like i have enough to justify the com in the conversation so my rating because that's what i'm doing it, mandy's gonna be actually mad at me she wanted me to rate it lower i'm giving it two stars <laughs> oh, oh man she wanted you to go lower. She wanted me to go lower, and I'm like, wow. the the only other rating, and it might come out as this, is a star and a half, but it's between Ooh. a star and a half and a two stars for me. Um, oh, man. I started with, I could throw this on, and here's how, how I phrased it to her, and then we'll go to you, I'm sorry, is I had to ask myself, do I dislike this more than the goonies <laughs> which <laughs> which you hate the goonies i hate the goonies with a passion and, and that's what and i think I, I i i have to come out i'm like 
that's what I have to ask myself. And I don't know if I've even rated the Goonies because I hate it so much, but I'm going to go two on this one. Cause two I, stars. I, I, I could, I can be okay. If someone put it on in the background, sure. I would be on my phone the whole time though. <laughs> <laughs> so two Woo! stars, two stars. Okay. Yeah. Um, man, I'm having a hard time with this one more than it would seem. So, Echoing just a few things, you can't argue the technical achievements of this no. movie. They are they are incredible. The tech stuff is a five star tech stuff. Yes, it's amazing. Yes, but yes, how fun is it to watch this movie? Where where are the problems? How does it hold up as a film? I've been struggling with this one. So this is one I don't do. When I first started on Letterboxd, I mostly did not put star ratings on movies that I had not seen very recently. However, apparently I did put a star rating on Roger Rabbit when I first got on Letterboxd, even though it had been years since I had watched it. And I put a four and a half on it originally because I think what I remember most is, again, technically, it's so fun to watch that first half and to see all this technical stuff. It's awesome. But I am with you that as it moves on, it gets sillier but not funnier. Yeah. Um. I feel it does some cool throwback stuff. Like there's the moment when he's in Toontown, he's being chased down by this woman who has like Jessica Rabbit's body, but like this like really grotesque cartoony face, which is exactly, I know that that cartoon exists in, in real life in like the thirties or forties where it's like, Oh, there's someone beautiful over there. And then she turns around like, Oh no, it's not like, these are classic cartoon tropes, but they felt sillier and weirder than they do in their original cartoon form, I think. Yeah. Uh, the ending of this movie, I think, the drawn-out part that you're talking about, like with Doom and the conversations and the the song and dance stuff, that part feels drawn out. But then it's followed up by the quickest, weirdest thing, which is, we can't find the will. Oh, wait, there's an ink spot on my shirt. Oh, wait, it's Acme's disappearing, reappearing ink, and here's his actual will. We've had it the whole time. And they wrap that up super fast, and then they sing their songs, and, and it's that is too quick for me. That is a very cartoony ending for a movie that I think carries a lot of very not cartoony plot, like we were talking yeah. about before. So like I said, I think I would either like this movie better if it was like, we have a world with, with real life and cartoons, they interact someone's framed for murder go or do the follow-up to chinatown where we're like we're gonna get into the political dealings and workings and messiness that takes entire neighborhoods and sacrifices them for corporate gain that's a fascinating movie i would watch that but i think when you kind of have to all those put together you don't get fully satisfied in either direction which is a real bummer because I love so much of this movie. So I am struggling with my rating on this. Uh, I know it's not four and a half. And I don't normally do this. Normally I don't try to look at anyone else's ratings before I decide on mine. Because that can influence it in unfair yeah. ways. Yeah. But I did anyway because I've just been stuck on it. So on Letterboxd I went to one critic I really like. And he gave it a three star. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe that confirms that this is not what I thought it was. And there's another critic on there who gave it like a four or a four and a half because, again, technical achievements in filmmaking. I don't know if I've completely decided yet. I'm (laughs) 
really torn on this, but I think because I'm torn on it, it's going to have to land somewhere between three and a half. Yeah, I'll probably go three and a half. Yeah. Just for this, like, here's what I would tell people. Roger Rabbit is great. You should watch these yeah. 10 minutes of it. And then watch the behind the scenes stuff to say, wow, how did they did that? do that? It's amazing. Yeah. I think that might be the best part of this movie. Definitely. I, I, I mean, it definitely lends itself. I, I think last week we talked about, like, even with Paths of Glory, like, technical aspects. Like, this is a movie I would show in a classroom. And yes. same with Roger Rabbit. I would show it in classroom, or at least the yeah. first half, because it's just, <laughs> it, it is a wonder of of filmmaking, even now. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's incredible. I think that's, it's but... a fair rating. I, I can see how people would like it a lot more, <laughs> but. Oh, absolutely. It I did can not see, hit, like, it did not hit if me. If I was, if I was even more of an animation buff, I'd be like, this is amazing. Five stars for animation. If I was just a classic cartoon nut and I just loved everything from the 40s and before, I'd be like, this is amazing, five stars or whatever. Um, but I think all the pieces together don't don't quite add up. So I'll, yeah. I'll settle at three and a half, I think. All right. Oh, man, that one was hard. All right. <laughs> Slade, what are we watching for next time? Oh, gosh. I made a decision earlier, right before this conversation. I was thinking about it all throughout this conversation. Like, is that the right move? Is that what I want to go with? American History X. I actually thought of doing that one because we both own really? it. I, I <laughs> honestly thought about can... it. I was, I was really... I, I was searching. <laughs> Me and Mandy, we were like, let's get a movie about the times. And I'm like, do I even want to go that way? I know. Um. So maybe you can choose American History X for next time because I would love no, to I'm good. do that one. It is a <laughs> wonderful movie, but it's hard to watch. Um, <clears throat> no, we are going with a movie, I believe, from 2013. This is our first foreign language film. It is three hours, two hours and 59 minutes. I'm sorry. Um, made famous. <laughs> I'm winding it up. Made you famous are. for about 20 to 30 minutes of inte- intense adult scenes. Um, <laughs> we are going to be watching the French movie Blue is the Warmest Blue is Color. The warmest color. We're going to be watching it the movie <laughs> i'm so sorry but i'm not no you're not you're i've delighted. I, I not because of what everyone's thinking like of course of course Slade. this is what i get into when i tell people i love the movie black swan they're like you only love it because i'm like no i love it for many 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 other reasons uh but we are gonna watch blue is the warmest color very acclaimed movie from 2013 french foreign language uh, coming of age movie, LGBTQ movie, uh, and and just in time for Pride Month. So, okay, there cool. you go. Problem with that? Where am I going to find this movie, Slade? It is going to be on Netflix. All right, it is streaming right now All right. for free with your subscription every month on, on Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> Blue is the warmest color. Okay. All right. I mean, I feel like this movie has lived in infamy, and so why not? I, I haven't seen it, so I should check I, it out. I have actually seen it. So All right. <laughs> it's been a while, but <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank All you so right. much for hanging out with us today, for listening. If you have any other thoughts, 
and you want to let us know how you uh, are feeling about our ratings or our conversation, you can always find us on Twitter. I am at Mr. Prindle. I am at... On our... <laughs> wait, on, on Letterboxd? Uh, oh, no, on Twitter. I was going to throw you at Twitter. You don't at know. SSLane91, I think. You think. All right. I'm or you sure. can find us at Post Credit Cast on Twitter, or you can yes. find either of us on Letterboxd by just searching our names, Kale Prindle and Slade Lane. Yep. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Farewell, good people. Don't stop the talk. Before. Don't stop the talk after you walk out of the theater. Woo! Yes! <laughs> Booping oh. up. Oh. Here we go. Have a good day, everybody.